0: Time with me to two Timothy. We're going to be looking at that over the over the past few weeks. If you've been here, we've been doing a series looking at the Bible, and we started by kind of asking ourselves the question: you know, how like how do we actually make sense of the Bible? And then we asked, uh, what is the Bible? Uh, And that was before we dived into the murky depths of violence in the Old Testament. Um not sure why we did that. <laughs> that was some harebrained idea. We did that over the last couple of weeks. And today, I, I want to come up for air, as it were, and just spend a little bit of time thinking about what is the Bible for? What is the Bible for? What is this, this library of books, this collection of books? What's it actually supposed to do? So let's have a look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 14. I think the words should come up here. Thanks, guys. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here with us through your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the word of God. We um, ask that this morning, by your Holy Spirit, you would open up the scriptures to us. You would open the eyes of our heart to see you and to encounter you and meet with you this morning. Come and pour out your presence upon us even more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we've got Paul, and he's writing to this young chap, uh, Timothy, and he's, he's saying how... Um, from infancy, this, this chap, Timothy, has known the scriptures. And so from a young age, Timothy has been familiar with the Bible, whatever it is we're talking about at this point, whatever Paul is describing as the Bible at this point. But this is something that Timothy has been familiar with. It's probably been read out loud to him, uh, he's, he's encountered it in various places, and he's, he gets it, right? So he understands, he's grasping this, this thing called the scriptures. Now, you fast forward on to kind of 21st century London, and uh, some of us here, some of you may have grown up in a, a Christian family. I didn't grow up in a Christian family at all. Um, I became a Christian when I was sort of 15, had never really encountered uh, faith, Christianity, anything at all, actually, uh, certainly hadn't encountered uh, the Scriptures or the Word of God in any way, shape, or form, apart from um, at school and sort of chapel and different places like that. But some of you may have grown up in a, with a different background. You may have grown up in Christian in a Christian family. You may have gone to church from a, a very young age. But the reality is that we are increasingly a biblically illiterate generation. As a general rule, we don't know, and the, the younger generations, the, the kids that are growing up, apart from those amazing ones in, in vineyard kids, because they're getting such a fantastic biblical education, and so in the youth, but increasingly, kids are growing up um, not really knowing their Bibles anymore, and that's one of the reasons that we 're doing this series on the Bible. And a couple of weeks ago we were asking, what is the Bible? And some of the things that we were saying is, we were saying that the Bible is is a library, it's a collection of books, it's both divine and it's human, all of which um, are telling this incredible unified story, all of which points to the person of Jesus. And that's great, but if that's the case, then what is the Bible, what is the Bible, what is it actually for? You know, when we pick up our Bibles and we open um, we open it up what exactly is it supposed what exactly is it supposed to do what's it supposed to do in you what's it supposed to do in me what's it supposed to be doing in us as a church i mean it, it must be supposed to be supposed to be doing something we would hope is that is that right we're not just like reading it just for the sake of it because someone told us to there, there must be a point to it um and then alongside that we might actually ask the question you know does it really matter Um, is this book even important is it relevant does it matter I mean can there really be any point to Leviticus I was uh, cleaning the tent uh, for a um, for the men's camping last weekend and the, the tent was covered in mildew and I was glad of the Levitical laws at that point because it helped me just remove the mildew um Um, the, the, violence pass- the violence passages that we looked at over the last couple of weeks um, are they even worth trying to decipher or should we just edit them out and dismiss them as antiquated and archaic and they're from some by- bygone era that we would really rather not recreate and so let's just do you remember Tipex? Sorry, tipex, tipex them out and... Um, so what is the Bible for? Does it really matter? That's what we're going to try and attempt to look at today. So what is the Bible for? Here's the, the first thing that I want us to think about. It's, it's fairly lengthy, but uh, I think there's something in here uh, from this stuff in, in Timothy that tells us that the Bible is um, one of the things the Bible is about. Is It tells us who God is. Um, it tells us who we are and it tells us how we are to relate to God and to one another. That's like my first long point. Right. Three subheadings. Um, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. You see, when we know the Scriptures, when we know the Bible, when we're familiar with what's in here, um, we know, for example, that the beginning of this book opens with, with, in the beginning, God. Right? We know that that's how this whole thing kicks off. and that tells us a lot because that tells us that this book this collection of books the Bible is first and foremost about God uh, if the Bible is a story as we've been saying over the last few weeks if it's a story it's a story not about Abraham it's a story not about Moses it's a story not about you it's a story not about me it's a story about God God himself is very much the center of what this collection of books, this library is all about. And that's important. That's an important part of what the Bible is for. Um, A.W. Tozer, he, he said this. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself. And the most portentous fact about any man or woman is not what he at any given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like. This is, this is interesting. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. We tend by a secret law of the soul to move towards our mental image of God. Of God. And what he's getting at is that we tend to become sort of like who we think God is. Um, so, terrorists who behead the infidels, they do so out of a notion of who God is. Um, prosperity Gospel Preachers, of which I'm thinking of becoming one. Um, I'm just giving you a heads up, it's a new series I'm starting in the autumn. <laughs> Uh, just so that you're aware um, save up because you'll need to cough up <laughs> um, oh dear <laughs> prosperity gospel preachers you know who justify flying around the world in their sort of um, Gulfstream jets reasonably I think um, they do so out of a notion of who God is yeah, Mother Teresa, the Mother Teresas of this world who, who give up everything to live in the slums of India, to work with the destitute and the dying, they do so out of a belief of, of who God, a notion of who God is. And that's that just goes on and on. You know, all of these, each one of these men and women, they do what they do because of what they believe to be true about God. And what we believe about God matters, which is why the Bible is really important. The Bible tells us, particularly the parts of the Bible about Jesus, the Bible tells us who God is. What's the Bible for? It tells us who God is. It tells us, uh, lets us know who God is. It also lets us know who we are. You know, the Bible opens with this, in the beginning, God, and then it's only a couple of kind of lines or a paragraph or two down where it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the man and female he created them and so as we read the bible as we read this collection of books we discover who god is absolutely but in the process we also discover a lot about ourselves we discover who we are um i don't know about you but we have i have a tendency to um to label to judge people to stick tags and labels and things on other people and i do it on myself and when i do it on myself particularly i tend to it tends to be very negative, negative sort of reflections on myself, negative and critical, you know, perceptions of other people. The, the Bible is, is kind of God's way of saying, no, 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 hold on a second, time out. No, 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 that's that's not true. That's not who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. You are made in the image of God. You are made in the likeness of God. And so as a human being, whether you follow Jesus or not, you have value. You have worth. You, you carry beauty and so much more. The thing is, as we read the story of the Bible, um, we also discover that, yes, we are made in the image of God. But we also discover that we're sort of bent slightly out of shape, to say the least. We discover and come across and understand that we're flawed and that we're marred by sin. Um, But even though we've been marred by sin and we're spoiled by sin, we are still utterly and completely loved by the God who created everything. This is who we are. And these are the things that we discover. Our identity, our true identity, is discovered as we immerse ourselves in the Scriptures. The Bible is about who God is, it's about who we are, it's about how we relate to God, it's about how we relate to one another. Um, as we've said over the past few weeks, most of the Bible is a story, and it's really fascinating when you read the Bible, you read these stories, there are lots of stories about human beings interacting with God and with one another. And th- the difficulty is, is, I don't know whether it's familiarity breeding contempt, but sometimes I just read the stories And I miss the point. And the point of many of these stories isn't that they're necessarily telling you how to live or even not how to live. Um, Most of the time they're just about the ways in which ordinary, normal, sometimes incredible, other times very screwed up, messed up. Most of the time a weird mixture of both ordinary men and women are relating to God and to one another. And the problem for us, you know, comes when we read about Abraham in Genesis, or Moses in Exodus, or Deborah in Judges, or on, 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 on. We kind of read it and go, "Oh, okay, that's great." Well, that was then, and this is now. Um, that was great for them, but this is just this means nothing for me. This has no relevance to me. This is not who I am. This isn't how I relate to God. But that's exactly what is going on through. These stories. The hope is that as we read the Bible, that we begin to immerse our minds and our imaginations and ourselves into the story. That we would become the characters that we are reading about, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And what happens is, is in that process, is we learn and we discover right in the chaos and the mess of life, how we are to relate to God and how we are to relate to another, one another. You know, if you're in any doubt over the last season of my life, I've just been kind of immersed in the Psalms, and the the Psalms are this fantastic. Uh, they give this fantastic vocabulary for an emotional connection and expression. With God, They taught me how to relate to God in the midst of some of my pain and some of my uncertainty and some of my confusion and some of my doubt. I'm glad of the Psalms because they've equipped me, they've shown me, they've given me a model, they've given me permission. They've given me a language and a vocabulary of how to relate to God and then to other people. So what's the Bible for? It tells us who God is, it tells us who we are, it tells us how to relate to uh, to one another and to God. Secondly, that was point one okay point like one subsection a and b and c paragraph four this is secondly and this is the bible tells us the story of ourselves okay so yeah we discover who we are in it but it it also tells the story of ourselves um how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and as we keep saying, most of the Bible is a story. I keep wanting to reiterate that because remember a few weeks ago we looked at the percentages of of how much of the the Bible is narrative rather than prose discourse and, and teaching. And not only is this mostly narrative, most of it is this like sprawling and long and complex epic story. And um, again, as we said a few weeks ago, it, it's one unified. Story telling the story of humanity from the beginning all the way through to where we are today and beyond. And it tells the story of what God is doing through Israel. It tells the story of how out of Israel God would raise up the Messiah and that the Messiah would bring the healing and the renewal of God to the whole of creation. Uh, And that's effectively what the story of this collection of books is all about. And this is important because we all live by a story, whether we realise it or not. Story is incredibly important to us. We all live by some kind of narrative that, for us, makes sense of the questions that we have about life and what life is all about. You know, things like where do we come from? What's the meaning of life? And, and, and there are all sorts of stories and worldviews out there. We know we know that. You know, atheism. Atheism is, is still a story. It's still it's still a worldview which explains the meaning of life to some people. You know, it's like, who are we? Well, we're kind of like evolved animals. How did we get here? Well, it was some glorious accident. You know, what's the meaning of life? Well, life doesn't need a meaning. Whatever. And, and, and it's a story. It's a framework that helps people to begin to make sense of the miracle that is life. And there are all sorts there are all sorts of stories uh, being told. At the moment, and um, the point is that the Bible is, um, is an alternative story. It's, um, it's a story that actually subverts and up, upends, in my opinion, all the other stories. There's a South American uh, philosopher, Ivan Illich, and there'd been decades of political turmoil in South America, and he was asked uh, at one time what is the best way to change society? Uh, You know, is it violent revolution or is it sort of gradual, incremental reform? And his response was neither. What he said was if you want to change society, you have to tell an alternative story. If you want to change society, you have to tell an alternative story. And that's what the Bible does it tells an alternative story it tells an alternative story to capitalism and socialism and to buddhism and to islam secularism and to all the other stories that are running around our society and our culture if you want to change society you have to tell an alternative story and one writer puts it like this the bible reveals the world as it really is it's not primarily a theological textbook it's not primarily a body of laws and regulations it's not primarily a collection of nice Moral stories. It's a story that presents a different way of seeing the world and our lives in it. And part of the challenge for us as we think about how we approach this book and the importance of this book is that so many of us, um, for all sorts of different reasons, we approach this book, we approach the Bible as a textbook, or we approach it as a rule book, or we approach it as a kind of Aesop's fables. Um, We approach it in these ways at our peril. If you want to change society, you have to tell an alternative story. This is an alternative story. And again, just keep reiterating this, most of this collection of books is just storytelling. Um, And like all good stories, we want to lose ourselves in them and we want to find ourselves through them. Uh, N.T. Wright, theologian has this really helpful, I think it's a helpful analogy, and he says the way that we should think about the Bible is is actually as like a five-act play, you know, which is all very Shakespearean, uh, and he says um, act one is the creation, act two is the fall, act three is the story of, of Israel, act four is the story of Jesus, and then act five is the story of the church. And he makes the point that that now, for us, as the people of Jesus, we are living in Act 5. And um, we are like the actors in this play. We're kind of on stage uh, right now. And all we have is the sort of opening scene of Act 5, which was sort of like, you know, the Acts, the Book of Acts, and, you know, the, the epistles, the letters. Um, and what we have sort of in the script we've been sort of given, before we sort of entered onto the stage, we've been given um, the closing scene, the final scene, which is the book of Revelation, which is sort of helpful and really massively confusing because none of us really understand it. And so we know that it's going to end somehow, but we're not really quite sure how. And we just hope that we're not still on stage when that all happens, to be honest. It sounds a little bit apocalyptic, funnily enough. Um, So we sort of know where we're coming from. And we know where we're going, but we are here today and we we don't have the middle bit. And so it's our job as actors in this play to improvise, which is what we're all doing all of the time. And it's our job to step into the story and based on what we know, based on what we know from here, from all the previous acts, to act out the story, to live out the story and carry the story forward. What's the Bible for? It's to know who God is, it's to know who we are, it's to know how we relate to God and to one another. It, it tells us, this book tells us the story of ourselves. And then finally, um, thirdly, this book um, shapes the people of God into the image of Jesus. This book, bizarre. This book shapes the people of God into the image of of Jesus, um, in order for us to join in with this story, in order for us to be able to improvise on stage in this fifth act, to enter into this story that like includes like the healing of sick people and um, like the ability to prophesy and to raise people from the dead and like to live a life of miracles and faith and justice and to love our enemies and and, and, and to do all the things that as Players in this play that we have been mandated to do to join in with this kind of story we have to become a very specific kind of person Um, we have to become like jesus Uh, archbishop william temple puts it like this he says it's no use giving me a play like hamlet or king lear and telling me to write a play like that shakespeare could do it i can't And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like that. And the very good news is the spirit of Jesus has come to live in each one of us. And when we open up our Bibles, every single time we open up our Bibles, this is not just for information, it is for formation. When we open up the scriptures, it's not for information, it is for formation. We read the Bible to be formed by the Bible, to be shaped into the image of Jesus. Uh, theolo- theologian Joel Green puts it like this. He says, reading the scriptures should be an exercise in our submission to God. That's enough right there. So reading the scriptures should be an exercise of, uh, in our submission to God. It's, um, it's an act of submission to God. It's an act of worship, just sitting down and reading the scriptures. Okay, but he goes on. And he says we don't uh, read simply for information but for formation. We read so that the scriptures will shape us to become more and more like Jesus. Spiritual formation is not measured by how much we know about the Bible or how often we read the Bible, but by the way we follow Jesus. This is the bottom line. We can be familiar with much of the Bible and still not love or follow Jesus. See, we can read the Bible really well. We can still miss the whole thing completely because there's a big difference between believing the Bible and living out the Bible. Um, There are plenty of people who profess to believing what they read in here. What we need um, and what we need to be is a people who are actually working out together in the context of fellowship and in the community of the saints, the fellowship of the saints, we need to be working out how to actually live this stuff out in practice. What does it actually mean? What does it actually look like day to day? The Bible wasn't just designed to be believed, it was designed to be lived. It's not enough to read it, it's not enough even to study it, it's not enough to know it backwards, forwards, sideways and upside down. It has to be lived out and somewhere along the way, this collection, this remarkable collection of books, became a system of beliefs rather than a way of life. And those two things were really never supposed to be separated. Let's just go back to two Timothy chapter three and um, verse sixteen. All Scripture is God breathed and is useful. Um, it's useful. It's useful for teaching. Right, So it's useful for saying, ah, do you know what? This is how you follow Jesus. It, it, it is, there's useful stuff in here on how to follow Jesus. It's useful for rebuking, which is basically, it's useful for saying, this is how you don't follow Jesus. That's not how you follow Jesus. Stop doing that. Um, it's useful for correcting and training in righteousness, which means it's, it's useful for kind of going, that was great, now maybe try this. And why is it useful for all these things? Well, it's useful so that, and here's the end goal of why we read the Scriptures, um, because the ideal outcome from our time of investing ourselves and devoting ourselves to the Scriptures is so that every servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's equipping. Scripture it, it kind of plays the role of a sculpture in shaping us, in shaping our thinking, in shaping our feeling, in shaping the way um, that what, what we believe. And out of all of that, it comes out, it shapes and informs the way that we live. N.T. Wright again says this, says, the Bible isn't simply a repository of true information about God, Jesus and the hope of the world. It is rather part of the means by which, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the living God rescues his people and his world and takes them forward on the journey towards his new creation and makes us agents of that new creation even as we travel. The Bible is part of the means by which, in the power of the Holy Spirit, God is doing his stuff. It's in and through this collection of books it means that god is at work through the scriptures through the bible to shape and mold a new covenant community us the community of men women and children who come together around jesus death and burial and resurrection the the bible shapes all of us into the image of of Jesus so that we can participate, so that we can get out there and join in with whatever it is that God is up to in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, or wherever it is we find ourselves from every minute of every day. And all of this matters because um, scripture isn't the only thing out there that is shaping us. Um, Whether we realize it or not, we are all constantly being shaped and formed 24 seven and we've talked about this before but in particular we are shaped by um, our habits Uh, we're shaped by our community and we're shaped by our environment Um, our habits the, the things that we do with our time the things that we do with ourselves are forming us the things that we watch the things that we watch online the time that we spend on the things that we do the way that we spend our money on and on and on all of these little habits Don't underestimate the spiritual power of habit to shape you. Um, The reality is is that we are all a little more than the cumulative effects of our daily habits. What we do on a regular basis, we are becoming. Habits shape us, um, as do our communities. So the people we live alongside, the people we work with, our friends and our families, the church that we're part of, the church we're not... Part of all of these things have um, an influence on us. They shape us. They mold us. As does our environment, you know, where we live, the culture that we are part of, and the day and the age into which we've been born. All of these things have a huge influence on us, on our character, on who we actually are. And, and, and the reality is that we're not just passive players in this, we have an active role to play in this. And sometimes I feel like we kind of swan around like as if we're on the land of the lotus eaters, sort of in a semi-narcotic sort of haze, oblivious to the strength of those forming and shaping influences on our lives. I like to think of myself as this concrete wall. You know, I'm totally impermeable to all external bad forces. Nothing bad gets in. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I have wings of steel. You know, the truth is, I'm more like a, a chainmail fence. You know, lots of stuff is getting through all the time. And a lot of that stuff that's getting through is not good. You know, I I I think maybe occasionally I influence for good. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but I also am aware that I am influenced. Uh, hopefully, I form and in form and hopefully somewhere along the line that's good but i am also very aware that i am formed and we need to wake up to the realization that we are all being made we are all being shaped we are all being formed all of the time and some of that is good and some of that is not good at all and this collection of books this the the scriptures are counter-formations um, what that means is that they are one of the ways, there are others, but they are one of the ways that we consciously choose to be formed into the image of Jesus. It's a, it's a decision, it's part of our submission to God to allow Him to transform us into the image of Jesus through our immersion, through our study. And our commitment to the world, to the word. Uh, Dallas Willard puts it like this: He says, "We come to the Scriptures as part of our conscious strategy to cooperate with God for the full redemption of our life." Wow, Sort of it sounds like. This book kind of matters a bit, maybe. Do we have a conscious strategy to cooperate with God for the full redemption of our lives? Because um, the reality uh, is that life has a momentum. To it. it has its own uh, momentum. We are becoming a certain kind of person without, with, with each passing moment, with each hour, and with each day. Uh, you know, I was saying to somebody this morning, there is a current in the river in which we are swimming. We all live in and around London. We, uh, there is a current. It is a strong cultural current. It takes a lot of effort for us as followers of Jesus to swim against the current just so that we stand still. If we let the current of culture, the zeitgeist, you know, pull us, because it will, it wants to, in the opposite direction. Ten years from now, we will be very different to who we are today, and that will be for, for better or, or worse. If you don't like who you are becoming, um, the Scriptures are a, are a very, very effective way to put on the brakes. These, um, the commitment to submitting to the Scriptures, is a way for us to say um, no to all of that and and yes to all of this. Yes to Jesus. That's who I want to be like, you know, 10 years from now, I want to look and think and feel and live life and spend money and speak and express sexuality and live in the community and do relationships like Jesus. That's what I want the next 10 years of my life to look like, a journey of ever-increasing transformation into the image of Jesus, more and more and more and more of him in my life. and one of the many ways that we do that is, um, was, was with a conscious and deliberate effort. We, we partner with Jesus. In that end. the end, the way that that comes about is that every single day, hopefully multiple times a day. I, again, you know, Doreen is where is she? Doreen. Doreen is such a. I mean, she's just. I mean, if you just want to learn something, just go and. Kind of, Talk to Dorian or Iris or some of these. Just talking to Doreen the other day, you know, just every single morning, just reading the scriptures. Every single evening, just reading the scriptures. I was talking to her the other day and she's like, oh, I'm reading Hebrews at the moment. She's probably been reading Hebrews on and off for years. And she said to me, she said, you know, I thought I knew Hebrews. I realise I don't know Hebrews at all dorian has got this, and so many others of you have got this commitment, this conscious decision to submit yourself to just the reading of the scriptures day in, day out, day in, day out. Mumbling, muttering the scriptures. Remember, as we said a few weeks ago. But there's this conscious decision for us to make is that every day we're opening the Bible and reading it and then slowly but surely we are shaped by it and shaped and formed into the image of jesus and and we're reading it not for information uh, we're not reading it for entertainment you know it's not some bits of it are entertaining not much of it is massively entertaining there are other more entertaining reads not that i know because my reading list is so depressing um if you were here a few weeks ago but we we read this book to meet with god that's what we're doing you know, and there's times for us to be dissecting it and going, oh, I'm struggling with this and I'm wrestling with that and I don't understand this. And Sometimes it's just time to park all of that and just to sit down and invite God's presence and read the scriptures and, and explore it as a moment of encounter with God. So there are other times to take issue with bits of it. Do that as well. But I'm talking about interrupting our preoccupation with ourselves and attending to the presence of the Almighty by sitting down and reading the scriptures and saying, I want this to be a moment of divine encounter with God. And in these moments, the scriptures open in front of us, maybe a cup of coffee, probably a cup of coffee, uh, heart, mind, open to the Holy Spirit. We say, God, here I am. Come, Holy Spirit, come and have your way and speak into my life. Speak through these words of life and speak into my life, and um, in that holy space, it is a holy space. It is a holy moment when you stop and you read and open up the holy scriptures. That is a holy moment. Don't despise that. Don't don't flit over it. Don't take it for granted. Recognize it for what it is, because in that moment, um, there is a moment of overlap between heaven and earth and the kingdom breaks through and we are shaped in a far more profound way than anything else that we can ever think of. Um, so this week, can I encourage us all to seek out holy moments in the presence of God with this book? Yeah? Um, Let's take some time this week to be reading the Bible. And um, as we step into its story, our prayer is that it will shape you, it will shape me, it will shape all of us um, into the image of Jesus. Does that sound okay? Nod politely. Why don't you stand?